what causes toxic workplaces and how to fix them, forbidden snacks, and moving from teammate to boss. That's what's on tap today on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and very amateur boxer, Joe Mall. <laughs> Hello, Boss Heroes. Welcome to the show that aspires to fill your cup as a boss, providing a bit of reflection and recharging. We're so excited to have you with us today. Uh, my co-host is here, professional coach Alyssa Mullet. Hello, Alyssa. Howdy. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you these days? The fire in which I want to burn the chaos of the world down with is, is a slow smolder today, Joe. How about you? Is your fire smolder, flame level, barn burner? Where is it? Where are you at? Well, at the time of this recording, um, in the past 48 hours, um, we have had all three of our children come into contact with a COVID person through their school or preschool. All of them have closed. And so uh, my poor wife is now, uh, once again, putting on three different hats to teach three different grades. So mm -hmm. I can understand the fire burning downness. That's actually part of my very amateur boxer-ing. Okay, do tell. Well, I... So I've had six knee surgeries, oh. right? I'm, I'm 43 years old, and I have had six knee surgeries. One more, and I get a set of steak knives. <laughs> Frequent flyer. That's right. I, I have a... Uh, um, it's complicated, but basically there's a little gap where your kneecap sits, and I don't have that. And so over the years, they have dislocated, and I shattered my kneecap when I was a kid. And so I've had to have a couple different uh, surgeries. But exercise for me, lots of traditional exercise is challenging. A lot of traditional cardio is challenging. I've always liked playing sports like basketball and racquetball, but I can't really do that much because I can't cut on the knee as much. So, And, and lunges are, are just not happening. So... I don't like lunges either, and I got no knee problems like that. Ah, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> so I have an excuse, though. I like I have a legitimate medical reason to be like, no lunges here, especially the kind where they want you to like to jump in the air and turn and land in a lunge facing the different way. That's insane. No, thank you. But I kept looking for ways to get some good cardio that didn't require me to do a lot of really dynamic movement with my knees. And there's a, a gym that I found about 45 minutes from my house that does all these boxing classes. And so Ooh. I've uh, I've never been a person who loves exercise, but I do enjoy these classes. And so for the better part of the past year, I've tried to go there once a week. And I've learned a little bit about you know how you do some things. Um, and... On days like this, where you sort of want to burn the world down, yes, having a hobby that requires you to hit things over and over again, it's quite therapeutic. Uh, I, I need a hobby like that. I, I need to find one that is not um, me hitting the potato chip bag over and over and over again. <laughs> yes. That's a different kind of hitting. Indeed, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure Both if you rack up pounds, but differently. Right. I'm sure if you Google at home boxing workout, okay. you you may find some healthier ways to release the smoldering. See, look at this, folks. You get it all here. Full circle. You're getting health, wellness, mental preparation, food for your boss, soul. It's 
the entire package right here. And I will I will acknowledge too because I think it's important to say this. I did stop going to the boxing gym in an effort to isolate in an because they closed for a while, but they're they've opened back up again. And I, I okay. went a couple of times, but as it got more crowded, I got a little bit more skittish about it and said, I don't think this is as safe as it could be. And so you know what I did? I ordered a heavy bag and I hung it in the basement. And oh, sweet. that ended up being a, a good move. So uh, and now my kids, like when when I'm done with them, I'm like, go downstairs and don't hit your brother. Go hit the bag. Awesome. Awesome. It's a full family gift then. That's, That's great. Right. Well, our first topic for today, my friend, uh, is toxic workplaces and where they come from and how you fix them. And this is not going to be the first conversation that some of our listeners have been a party to of late about toxic workplaces, because as you've probably heard over the summer and into the fall, Ellen DeGeneres maybe isn't as nice as she pretends to be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know her personally. I'm not trying to call her out. She she could be a lovely person through and through. Mm-hmm. But there's been this kind of national pop culture conversation about the work environment of her show. Have you heard about this? I've heard headlines, but, you know, honest to goodness, that's what I get nowadays. I just get headlines. So explain to me the more specifics, if you could, as to what constituted this toxic work environment at the DeGeneres show. So the the first thing that came out was some folks who had been guests and who had uh, were themselves like TV stars and whatnot, making okay. comments like, hey, this is an act. This person isn't as sweet and nice as you think she is. And then oh. more kinds of comments like that trickled out. And then it moved into the workplace thing where people who had worked at the show and on the show and and no longer do mm. had complained that there were some some pretty awful things happening there in terms of the way that they were treated and that it was tied to the kind of environment that she either created or allowed and i, mm. I think the dialogue since uh in in defense of her again because not knowing the whole story only hearing what you were you know you I guess reported um she has taken responsibility for that. She has acknowledged that there were things happening she was not aware of uh, and has pledged to fix them. And I think that for the first time that I can remember, the the turn of phrase toxic workplace has been showing up in, in our collectiveness. Mm. You know, you, fl- you flip on your, your Good Morning America and your Today Show and you, you flip through your magazines and your favorite websites and, and there's a lot of stuff being published on toxic workplaces. And as someone who does a lot of leadership development work and a lot of staff development work, this is a turn of phrase that I'm quite familiar with. So when you hear it, when you experience it with uh, clients, what is it, what are some of the specifics that they recognize Mm. as elements of a toxic workplace? Yeah. Well, I get calls all the time from folks who say, hey, can you work with us? You know, can you do a retreat? Can you do some staff development work with us? Or, you know, we have a culture here mm-hmm. where people are miserable, they're unhappy, they act out, they take their stress and strain out on each other. We can't keep good people, right? These are all signs and symptoms mm-hmm. uh, that there's a problem. When, when you have folks who are predominantly looking out for themselves, above the interests of the customer, above the interests of the organization. Uh, if there's no sense of shared purpose, there's no uh, 
sense of, well, yeah, maybe I could leave this job and go work someplace else and make a little bit more, but boy, I would lose all these other things that I really like and value, right? Um, the term toxic workplace is so gen- generic, mm-hmm. right? That and, and that actually is part of the first conversation that needs to happen if you think you have a toxic workplace and you want to try to fix it is getting clear about the exact nature of the problem. What are the behaviors and the experiences that are problematic? We have to work to identify where those are coming from, um, what happens when they occur, or what doesn't happen when they occur, Mm. and then work to identify why such incidents are tolerated or ignored. When you're talking about these illustrations um, about, you know, this misery that is um, part of the the culture, right? Um, People taking stress out on each other, um, self-interest over the collective commitment to the organization or to uh, the team. I think back to um, my time um, leading teams in the corporate realm. And while I may have a thousand of those incidents in my head, Mm -hmm. right, I can tell you without a doubt that while I may not know every single behavior that contributes to a toxic workplace, I absolutely do know when I feel it. I know when I feel that I am either, it's not an either statement. I know when I am a part of a toxic workplace. Yes. And having been a part of one, is that, so that's what we're saying. You have had that experience. Absolutely. And I was going to qualify my statement there to say, I know when I have either experienced or been a part of, but as a leader, if you are experiencing a toxic workplace, then you are a part of that toxic yeah. workplace. So I cannot say with utter certainty looking back. In fact, my body would absolutely tell me, no, you didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> in, act in accordance with uh, trying to um, do all that you could to reduce the toxicity. Yeah. Um, At least now I can kind of reconcile in my brain. Um, I did what I knew how at the time. You bring up such a great point about the struggle that I think a lot of bosses face when they're working in an environment that in an environment that is difficult for people. Uh, as a result, I mean, there are so many reasons it could be difficult. It could be one or two bad actors. Uh, it, it could be a, a, a legacy, a culture that has been able to perpetuate over time that has really grown to become, oh, the way we do things around here. But you bring up this great point that a lot of, of leaders can be in a toxic environment and not see themselves as part of the problem because they're spending so much time fighting like hell to protect their people from what's happening. You know, and that's what great bosses do. Great bosses stand in front of their team and say, I'm going to act as a barrier. I'm going to be a shield between the crap that rolls downhill yeah. 
and you. And I'm going to try to divert that and, and shield you from it as much as I can so that you can focus on what you're there to do and not have to take all of that home with you every day. Yep. And it's such a, a challenge because for so many bosses listening to this, it is not their job to fix that toxic workplace. They don't have the power. They don't have the authority. The risk to them is too great. The 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 correcting, repairing a toxic workplace is the responsibility of senior leadership and to work downhill from there. Um, at the same time, though, there are a lot of bosses who end up becoming a part of the problem because they stay silent. Yep. And, and and silence condones some of the problematic behavior that shows itself in a toxic workplace. And that's the, the inner turmoil, the toxicity that exists in each of our leaders that are trying to effectuate change, that are trying to struggle with that. Um, on a minute-to-minute basis to say, okay, I'm that funnel of information, right? I'm trying to strain out all this crap and still fight against it and still do this, but then also be authentic and lead from my values and all of these things. And yes, where do I exist in that? And I don't have all of the answers because frankly, my conflict, my toxicity landed me in the hospital. And, and, And what I have since learn from that experience, though, is that if you can't stop to at least acknowledge it, that's where the real uh, potential of hurt and uh, damage to yourself um, happens. Well, that's just the point, isn't it? I mean, we're going to eventually do an episode where we spend a little bit of time on your story, Alyssa, which is pretty compelling, um, mm-hmm. and learn a little bit more about uh, that that journey that you went on, that experience that you've had. Um, but when you, as a boss, have to try to exist in an environment where you are trying to put yourself between the drama and the harm and your people, it is... An ex- a recipe for accelerated burnout, right? Yeah. It is it is a fast track to some really scary mental and physical health consequences. Yeah. Being able to have that level of self-awareness to be able to say this is what's this is what's happening. This is the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging and it, it might not be part of the, you know, your role to acknowledge it in a more public arena, but at least acknowledge it for yourself. This is what is going on. I, it does not align with who I am. Here's what I can control. Mm -hmm. Here's what I cannot control about this situation. And the ability to at least raise that level of awareness for yourself. I think there's a real element of powerful introspection and, that is where you can start to orient yourself from, right? Absolutely. And I think then the next step is at least acknowledging it to your people, right? At one level, that's an act of empathy. If there's a lot of crap that that folks are dealing with, if there are some circumstances, some people who are creating a toxic work environment, acknowledging that is going to at least not not make you appear as a phony, right? If you don't acknowledge it, failure to acknowledge it mm. in and of itself will reduce your credibility 
and, and mm-hmm. in turn reduce your effectiveness. You will not be able to recharge them, help them with resilience, uh, support them in the ways, in the limited ways that you can as a boss if your credibility is shot. And so, and that's such a fine line to walk to because there is a cost to saying, yeah, I know this place is a mess right now, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're throwing other people under the bus and that's a problem too. But- if, if we want to have a, a bit of a more macro conversation about toxic workplaces and, and what we need to do if we're in one. Yeah. And this is going to go right to your sweet spot. I think more than anything, a team or organization needs to define its values. Mm. It needs to define clearly what they want their culture to be and the acts that have no place there. And then they have to to craft and enforce a clear ironclad plan for what happens when a violation of those values occurs. And if we truly want to repair an organization, there can be no exceptions and no variance in the rules for members of the organization. Because let's be honest, there's often a power dynamic at play, right? Often those higher up on the org chart get away with more. Mm-hmm. The harder someone is to replace or the more revenue they bring in or grant money or the more sales they have, the easier it is to say, well, let's give this person a second chance or a third. Or we say, well, that's just the way he is or she is, and we have to work around them. And you will never overcome that. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that the antidote to toxic workplaces begins by this um, accountability to values, right? Yes. And being able to um, help raise that level of awareness for ourselves as leaders Mm -hmm. uh, within ourselves and then also within the organization as well. And noticing that if an organization doesn't have values or the values of the organization will never result in the kind of change or progress that is necessary to be a safer, healthier workplace, then you got to go. I mean, you know, you can stay and suffer, but, you know, you're just continuing in an abusive relationship. Yeah. But if we want, you know, and 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 even beyond the values thing, though, and this is where I go from the macro to the micro, right? Okay. So we have to do the work around values and getting clear on that, and that has to be from top down, and and you know, the the most uh, highest ranking folks need to be full throated in support of that and driving mm-hmm. that. But parallel to these efforts is that employees at all levels have to receive training on how to do things like give feedback and manage conflict and speak up when they see or experience problematic behavior. And direct supervisors have to be given training on how to build trust and create safe workplaces where communication and vulnerability are not just encouraged, but necessary. Yeah. And we must also acknowledge this. In many places, those direct supervisors who were in charge while toxic behavior occurred, they're going to struggle with this. In a sense, there is a hole they can't dig themselves out of. 
Mm. You know, saying, oh, oh, I know this is how things were before, but it's going to be different now. Trust me. Be vulnerable with me. I'll make things safe and I'll protect you. That's a really hard sell. In many cases, it is much more effective. And I have advised organizations of this. It, it is much more effective. The, the, the runway to success is shorter if if we start over with new leaders sometimes who don't have a history or a track record with the employees because the mountain they have to climb to yeah. earn trust and open the lines of communication isn't as high as it would be for supervisors who were there while the problems occurred. Wow. I can't think of a more brave space to be in than to be that leader that says, this place can't change unless I leave it. Mm. And being willing to sacrifice at that level to say it's more important than my title, than, you know, whatever it might be, to have this organization, this group of people be able to have um, a new level of commitment a new level of trust. Mm -hmm. And even though you may have worked really tirelessly to erode or excuse me, to um, eliminate toxicity in the workplace, you are still the example of it. You know, at some point, maybe that's true um, that you have to then say, okay, what is the ultimate sacrifice here? What is for the greater good? I'm a big hockey fan. Um, okay. uh, I live in Pittsburgh, home of your five times Stanley cup champion, Pittsburgh penguins. <laughs> and there, there is a, a sort of accepted norm in the professional hockey world that the, uh, the, the shelf life of a coach, a professional head coach of a hockey team really isn't very long. It is not uncommon to see hockey teams, even championship hockey teams replace their head coach every three, four years. There are other sports where where we have coaches who have been – Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's been there 17, 18 years now. Um, but hockey is different, and what they have figured out is that in that environment, there needs to be a constant turnover of the voice. And they talk about this a lot, that, that when people hear the same things over and over again, the same voice over and over again – to tune it out, they start to get used to it. And so just because a hockey coach gets fired – there is a general acknowledgement that that doesn't mean he failed. That doesn't mean that they're a bad coach. It's just that their time had run its course with that particular group of people. Mm. And so it's not at all uncommon to see a head coach in hockey get hired immediately elsewhere because now they're the new voice for a new group of people. And so I think some of what you said, Alyssa, which is just so smart and, and so spot on, is that because I was thinking about it from the angle of the organization who has to sometimes look at a manager and say, listen, you know, the, the, the well is poisoned here. And so we got to we got to move you along to have any hope of of making things better, both for them and for you. But what you're saying is, what if the leader raises their hand and says, I've done all I can here. There is no more forward momentum, no more progress, no recovery on the horizon until another voice comes in through the door. Mm. I love it. 
I thank you for the the sports metaphor and understanding. I had no understanding that that's what went on in hockey. So again, you weave in this beautiful puck. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good try. I'm not sure it works, but that was a good try. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I'm not a sports person. Sports person. I want to say one more thing about this before we we put a bow on it, and it's a it's related to the first thing that we started with. I said that I get calls a lot from organizations who say we're having these problems, we have this toxicity. Toxicity. Uh, my second book is called No More Team Drama: Ending mm-hmm. the Gossip, Clicks, and Other Crap That Damage Workplace Teams. So I get calls a lot from organizations who say, "Yeah, we have some team drama, yes. um, and, and we have some work to do." And the truth is that. There is one question I ask above all others in those conversations, and it's very early in the conversation, and it's this question. Is there one person on your team or maybe two who, if they left today and never came back, most of these problems would be solved? Mm. And do you know that the answer is always yes? <laughs> it's always yes. Yeah. And that is why I have come to tell audiences when I keynote, when I do training workshops, sometimes the single biggest, most influential action you can take to address a problematic work environment is to remove that one or two people who are driving it all. I use mm-hmm. I use the analogy in, in a lot of my writing and training of pulling the weeds, right? Weeds do one thing in a garden. They strangle the life out of the garden. There's no mm-hmm. transforming a dandelion to a begonia. They're a weed, and they've shown you over and over again they're a weed, and no amount of nurturing and patience and transplanting is going to transform that into from what it is to what you hope it will be. And the number of times I have had people call me after training, after keynotes, and say, we pulled a weed. And oh my goodness, what a difference. I wish we had done it sooner. Wow. I, I, to me, that's the, actually one of the shortest paths to addressing toxicity in the workplace, especially if it's not an organization-wide problem. If it's limited to a, a particular team or business unit, oftentimes it's being driven by one or two bad actors who have been able to get away with things, who have decided that a, a, an abrasive approach is what works for them. Um, they have to go if we want to recover. That makes complete and utter sense. And gardening, I get. Hockey, <laughs> not so much. But I got the weeds. I get that. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we can mix up metaphors here, both ones that speak to you and others that are less <laughs> familiar. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to uh, our next segment, our camaraderie question of the week. But I want to hear what you think. You can uh, hit me up on Instagram at JoeMall77. You can go to our Boss Better Now podcast page on Facebook. Leave a comment. Ask a question. Uh, tell us what you think about overcoming toxicity in the workplace. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and hey, while you're out there on the internet, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and tell others about our show. And so now we come to the camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. Every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. The question of the week is this. Alyssa, what snack food cannot come into your home because you simply cannot stop yourself from eating it? (laughs) You know, this is this is great. Uh, so at the beginning of the show, I mentioned about you know uh, punching the potato chip bags, right? But in in truth, 
Um, those would be bags of sour gummies. Oh, I, I love me some, I love all gummies, but particularly the sour gummies. Oh boy. I could, they say shareable packs, but I have yet to find a pack that is really, truly shareable. I think that's just me, mm. a bowl, not shareable. Interesting. There is nothing appealing to me about either sour or gummy. That's wild. Oh, Joe, you disappoint me. Maybe we should just shut this could... down now. Uh, it's over. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> can't work with you anymore. These conditions are too harsh. <laughs> so you can't even bring him into the house? No. I mean, I do all the time. Yeah. Okay. I, like, if they're in the store, it mm -hmm. says, hey, this is the store you're going to this week. Now's your chance. That's it. You get yeah. one chance. So you better buy it. Yeah. <laughs> but... Okay, so if it's not sour and or gummy, what the heck is it for you, Joe? Because that's where it's at. Okay, so my first blush reaction to this question was ice cream of any kind. I, I am an ice cream connoisseur. It is the tops of the list for me of, of my favorite foods. Um, my brother-in-law likes to say that if you look up happiness in the dictionary, it's a picture of me eating ice cream. <laughs> that he doesn't think anybody in the world loves ice cream as much as Joe loves ice cream. And I think that's fair. That's true. But that's not actually my answer to this question. Oh, okay. Um, because I've done some work on myself and I've figured out how to have a better, healthier relationship with ice cream. And so I'm good with ice cream right now. But there is a treat that I've actually pushed it out of my mental existence. It, I, I don't even see it in the grocery store anymore. I have to walk by it because if we bring a pack of them into the house, I, I cannot stop. And that is Oreos. Oreos. Oreo cookies. I, I'm just, I mean, and don't don't even say the words double stuff to me because I'll just start twitching. <laughs> you are not, this is kismet. Um, you're not going to believe what I had last night no. <laughs> as a snack. Okay. Have you seen these? I don't even know exactly what, what the name of it is, but it's Oreo sticks. Oh. And the icing is like in the cheese pack, you know, like the little cheese pack oh, thing where the yes, dip yes. Like the okay. little handy snack things yes, that you tear the, the top off. Yes, only it's Oreos and the icing separate, and then you dip it, and then you eat it, and then yeah. you make all of the sounds that are so delicious in your mouth. <laughs> There's an audio component to your snacking. <laughs> well, I say it's no, because that's, that's me. That's just not, it's not the same. That's just marketing. That's just, let's take the ingredients, put them together differently, and we can sell more of this stuff. But it's not the, it's not the traditional Oreo. Right. I agree. And I would go a step further. This is a do it yourself Oreo. So they are making you make the Oreo and you're paying more for it for less product. It's genius. I say genius. If they were really smart, they would tell you how many calories you burn by doing the work yourself <laughs> in right. an effort to be like, it's practically a salad. It's health food. Right. You burn so many calories with the dipping and the sound making. <laughs> and this is camaraderie, folks. This <laughs> is the solid, awesome stuff that you get by asking these kinds of questions. That's right. Great stuff, Joe. Great that stuff. That is our camaraderie question of the week. All right. We end today. Our final segment uh, is mail time. Let's play the mail time music. Oh, 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 oh. 
We really want to hear from you, folks who are listening to the show. We want you to send us your questions, send us your comments. We're going to read them on the air. We're going to make you a part of this show. We are building a community here uh, where whether you've been leading for just a couple of weeks or you've been a, a boss for decades, we are all a part of the same Boss Heroes family, and we are here to support each other uh, in our struggles and in the privilege of leading others. And so this question comes to us today from June, um, a person, not the month. And the question <laughs> is, what advice would you give someone who has just been internally promoted from team member to supervisor? Ah, one of the trickiest professional transitions anyone can make. Alyssa, can you drop some knowledge for June? It is exactly what you said. This is the biggest transition that you can have. You are one day colleague, you know, going out to lunch, high five and having happy hour after work, all the things, laughing at inside jokes. And mm -hmm. the next day, not You're the boss. Nope. No more. You're mm -hmm. cut off. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the harshest of harsh or it can be. Um, I think we can look at this whole conversation that we had about toxic workplaces mm -hmm. for some guidance here. Okay. So um, for me, the first thing would be to acknowledge what changes yes. for this dynamic. I was once your colleague, uh, but now I'm not right. Um, and so here are some of the things and let's get real and let's get honest about what's got to change with our relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and that might mean we can't have that inside joke anymore, or I'm not going to be able to go to your son's birthday party mm -hmm. next month anymore. Yes. Maybe that's it. Okay. Then the other part is what stays the same? Ah. Right. And so you don't turn into a different person on that next day. Right. Rather, you can still have that level of honesty to say, I still think this process really sucks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel like that's not the right approach to that. Like we've, you know, we've bantered back and forth. We're on the same page with that. I get that. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in a position in which. I might be actually able to change that for us. Yes. Yes. I love that you started with the relationships, right? That we have to be prepared for relationships to change. And I want to acknowledge that we can't go so hard the other way either, where we immediately go to people and say, well, I can't talk to you that way, and I can't have the joke, and I can't you know, be friends with you on Facebook. Because then what happens? The team member goes, oh, well, she's on a power trip and, and doesn't want to be a part of this anymore. So there are shades of distancing, in, in, a, in a, for lack of a better term. With it's the 50 shades. <laughs> uh, and you happen no. to have a gray shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to draw any further things there. That's it. That's I'm not swinging that at that pitch. Goes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, and I think what we're saying here is that you have to prepare yourself for those relationships to change, and you have to prepare others. And and just like you said, preparing yourself to say, maybe I, I uh, am not going to go to all the happy hours, and maybe I shouldn't friend everyone in the office on Facebook. And so be prepared for a shift in your own personal boundaries. And then you have to tell others to expect that as well, especially if you have close personal friendships with team members. It's, there's 
great value in sitting down with them individually and getting them ready for this change. You tell them, listen, let's acknowledge that things are going to be different, even if we're not sure how. And and I want you to know that I respect for you and I care about you, and that has not changed. But the interactions that we have might be different. They might have to change a little bit. What's important to me is that we keep the lines of communication open at all times. I think one of the assumptions that managers who get promoted from that peer level make is that because I was one of them and they all like and respect me, I'm going to get that continuously from them. That's going to stay and not so fast, my friend. As soon as you get that title and as soon as you have any accountability, as soon as you try to exercise any authority, you're going to notice that that's not necessarily the case. Um which is also why I think it's important to stay in the trenches for a while, mm. right? Well, while it may be tempting to retreat from the side-by-side work maybe you previously did with the team, try not to do that right away. When, when your direct reports see that you are working harder than anyone else at the work that they are also doing, that keeps those lines of communication open It builds respect and loyalty. And it also proves that you're just as committed to all the work and that nothing is beneath you. And, and over time, as time passes, you can slowly recede from some of that work, but don't totally remove yourself from it completely at the start because it's a, it's a chance for you to, to build some cheese with your folks yeah. right out of the gate. It's not a switch to be flipped. It's yeah. rather a gauge to be levered. I don't whatever that I don't know. I'm not mechanical either. I'm no sports. I don't know <laughs> mechanics. Is there a gardening reference you can use? Oh, probably if I thought hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there right now. That's all good. I actually think there's one other thing, there's one other piece of advice that I always give new leaders that I think is important to remember, and that is to be selective and conversational about change. I think often internally promoted leaders want to quickly try to fix everything all at once. Maybe they hope that it's going to make people happy. Maybe they're finally getting a chance to influence the things that they have long observed as problematic wait. You will be far more successful early on if you focus first on people and making time right away to meet individually with folks, to solicit their ideas, opinions, and challenges. This demonstrates that you are committed to involving them and that you respect them. And then when the time comes to initiate some change, don't announce it, discuss it. Don't Mm -hmm. just tell them what's going to happen. Say, this is what I'm planning. I'd like to get your reactions to that. I'd like to hear your thoughts about these ideas, plans, and goals that I have. You do that, and you're going to start building a real foundation of trust and mutual respect that's going to serve you well as a boss going forward. That's another gem, Joe. Another gem. Well, folks, we are so grateful that you joined us today. Uh, One of the things you're going to be hearing about on future shows are what we call boss hero stories. Is there a boss hero in your world worthy of public acknowledgement? Do they show up in a way that would be inspiring to other bosses? Have they recently done something special, creative, or impactful that other bosses can learn from? We want to hear about these folks. To spotlight a boss hero on our show, Go to BossHeroStories.com, BossHeroStories.com, and tell us about them. Your boss hero may be celebrated on a future episode. 
In the meantime, thank you for listening, and thank you for all that you do to take care of so many. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today. Hey, Boss Heroes, check it out. One of the phone calls I get most often is the we have one person here who really needs help phone call. The leader on the line tells me about an abrasive executive, a manager not meeting the needs of his or her team, or two physicians who can't overcome conflict. Their question is always the same. Do you have any training I could provide for this person? I have to tell them the uncomfortable truth. Theirs is a problem that training won't fix. The problems these leaders describe require a different solution, coaching. A professional coach helps people explore new ways of thinking and operating while examining the root causes of their own behavior. When someone needs to examine their approach, adjust their style, become more adaptable, clarify goals, or navigate conflict, there's only one coach I recommend, our own Alyssa Mullet. Alyssa is a professional and executive coach who works one-on-one with clients to tackle the issues that live behind closed doors. Experienced, credentialed, and revered by her clients, Alyssa can help you or any leader struggling on your team design a path to achievement and professional success. I've sent Alyssa to clients all over the country, and they rave about her every time. Every single time. So if you have that one leader who is struggling, or that one leader is you, I strongly encourage you to invest in coaching. For more information on working with Alyssa or to get a quote, visit joemall.com forward slash coaching.